0: everybody. John Clare here. Welcome to Episode 6 of the EvoFi Podcast, a finance podcast for humans. In this episode, we're going to explore the world of estate planning. We've affectionately called this episode Estate Planning 101, but as you may find, we tend to get into some topics that we maybe would classify as 201 or 301 uh, in the college world. But hopefully, you'll be able to get something out of this episode. Uh, we're lucky enough to have our friend, attorney, Kimberly skiba Rokoski a partner at Cerville, Isaacs, and Levy. In today's episode, it must be noted that this was our first virtual episode. So you may notice that some of the audio from Kim sounds a little bit different, and that's because she's actually up in Fairfax, and this one was done over FaceTime. So we had the local EvoFi crew here in the studio, and we were able to bring in Kim with the miracle of technology. Maybe uh, you may also notice there are some really loud noises coming from outside the studio today. Um, Not sure what was going outside, so to the extent we couldn't edit all of that out, uh, our apologies. Uh, We can assure you that nothing was happening inside the studio uh, and that all is well here. Uh, The last bit of note is uh, you may recall when we do our Evo 5, all of our previous guests, of all of them, none of them have actually guessed the name that tune. And while on a technicality, Kim got it correct, I have to say we did give her a bonus question, which she did indeed get right. So we will put her on the leaderboard by guessing the second song, but maybe we'll put an asterisk next to that. So good job, Kim, and uh, you were on the leaderboard. Uh, next, I want to give a little bit of information about Kim. She focuses her practices on focuses her practice in areas of family law, estate, trusts, estate planning, and estate administration. She's been practicing law since 2006. She graduated from Boston University with a BA and got her law degree from the University of Richmond School of Law. She's been named Super Lawyer as in Virginia between 2011 and 2018, and Washington DC's Rising Star for 2017 and 2018. And also, Kim enjoys traveling to new places, And listening to all kinds of music. So maybe that's why she was the first one to get that music right on the name that tune. Anyhow, so as part of our normal uh, process when we start our podcast, we do have to read a disclaimer that it's important to note that this podcast is 100 percent free of any tax, legal or investment advice. Our goal here is education and to have a little fun. If you need advice in any of the areas tailored to your specific specific circumstances, feel free to give us a call or talk to your advisor, and we'll see how we can help. Don't forget to find us on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. The more ratings and subscriptions we get, the more people we can reach. So we hope you enjoy today's episode. I think we covered a lot of territory, but hopefully you'll find it helpful and maybe come away with a few things you didn't know prior. So without further ado, here's the EvoFi team with Kimberly Skiba-Rakoski. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode six of the EvoFi podcast, a finance podcast for humans. So with me, we've got Dave O'Brien, Penny Lowbred, and Kim Skiba-Rakoski. And I'm John Clare. Anyway, welcome, everybody. How's it going? Good. How are you? Dave, how's it going?
1: It's just going great. Yep.
0: And we've got so Cecilia excited. here behind the scenes, so I want to give her some shout-outs, too. Welcome. <laughs> She's got no microphone, so she can't say anything, but at least she can hear us. So, <laughs> I have to say, this is our first virtual podcast, meaning this, Kim is our first guest who is calling in remotely from way up north in Fairfax. Is that right?
2: That is correct. I am coming to you from Fairfax, Virginia.
0: (laughs) Well, we are lucky to have you and you're an old friend of the firm and we miss having you just upstairs here.
2: That's nice. Thank you.
0: So um, before we get into the questions, I want to kind of look around the table here and see if, you know, uh, if there's anything going on in the world that folks feel comfortable sharing. Everything is quite polarizing these days and uh, we do have a little bit of fun planned, but I want (laughs) to Give everybody a chance to speak up if there's anything on your mind. What's going
3: on? Well, you must be excited. It's World Cup time, so.
0: It is World Cup time. Go Germany.
3: Is that your team?
0: Well, we picked Germany and Panama. My kids and I did because the USA is not in it, obviously. And Germany and Panama both lost. So uh, I figured we'd be a shoe in with Germany, but not so much. (sighs)
3: So is it one and done? I don't know, World Cup. It's round robin. Round robin uh, initially.
0: So there's four teams per group, and the top two teams from each group play. They all play each other, then the top two go.
3: Oh, and are they already out? They're done?
0: No, they're just starting the second games now. So gotcha. great question.
3: I don't know anything about soccer. That's awesome. It's the one I
0: don't know. Kim, are you follow you following the World Cup at all?
2: I, I don't. And you know what? My grandfather would have my head because he actually played semi professional soccer when he was younger. So I, I should be following it. But uh, nope, I am not.
0: And Chris isn't either?
2: No. And you know, I have a seven-month-old, so neither one of us are really following anything.
0: I remember those days. Yeah. Penny, you, probably, Dave, you guys probably all do. I mean, it was a long time ago, but... Well, not when I, I was remember, seven but... months old, but... All right, fun what times. Else?
2: Huh? I said fun, fun times. times. Yep, indeed. Dave, what about you?
0: Anything exciting going on?
1: I think I'm going to punt. We'll go to the weather.
0: Weather's really hot here. Yeah. I don't know. How's the weather up in Northern Virginia?
2: It's sunny and really warm.
0: Okay. So kind of like here. Yeah. All right. So Kim, here's the deal. So we start off each podcast with something we call the Evo five. Okay. Um, And it's five questions for the guest to kind of get the juices flowing, not related to the topic necessarily. So please forgive me uh, if I put you on the spot, we can edit it out later, but we want to get a sense of who you are as a person. So, okay. I'm just going to dive right in. You ever watch right. Inside the Actor's Studio in your free time?
2: Uh, I've seen it advertised, but no, I've never okay. watched an entire session.
0: Okay, so then this will be new to you. Okay. okay, here's the deal. What was your first job?
2: My first job was a, a cashier at a pharmacy.
0: Like a CVS type deal?
2: No, a mom and pop a pharmacy in New Jersey, where we sold lottery too. So I actually was underage selling lottery <laughs>
0: Uh, I'm Statute not sure.
1: of limitations is probably. <laughs> oh, passed it's well past. Okay. I already thought about that. You did not that. name the pharmacy. I nor did nor not. Nor do we advocate underage sale of lottery. That's where you got your customer <laughs> service, <laughs> service <laughs> skills.
0: Okay. Yep. This is a this is a good one. We had another attorney on a couple weeks back, and we got a total legal ease word. for what is your favorite
2: word? My favorite word. I don't know. I use words every day. I mean, I I can't even, I don't think I have a favorite word.
1: That's good that she uses words every day. Yeah. I think a lot of us use words every day. I mean,
2: we all do, but I mean, I especially have to choose my words carefully. So I don't, I can't really say that I have a favorite word. What what did the attorney say? I'm I'm curious.
0: Does anybody remember? Cecilia does. What was it? Notwithstanding.
2: Notwithstanding. That's a good one. And that's one we use oftentimes. um, You know, when we we disagree. I, I will say to that end, I like the word respectfully because okay. normally I will say, you know, that's respectfully disagree that, you know, this and that. So
1: isn't that kind of a lawyer way of saying You're bless, an artist. bless their heart? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Pretty exactly. much. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next question. What prof- what profession other than your own would you like to attempt
2: uh, I actually, when I was younger, um, wanted to be a journalist if I didn't go to law school. So,
0: what kind of what kind of journalist would that be? Print, political, uh,
2: print, print journalism, but um, not necessarily political. I, I, I don't think I ever really got that far when I was a little girl as to what specifically I wanted to do. Okay, so, fair enough. Those yeah. are good answers. I think so, for
1: lots of journalists, especially print journalists out there, saying you you made the right call.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> You are ahead of your time. All right. So yeah. two more. So this is the goat question. When I say okay. goat, does that mean anything to you?
2: Greatest of all time?
0: See, I just learned that a few weeks back and I feel like...
2: You thought it was, was goat
1: yoga, didn't you? Well, John? I wasn't that sure. Was
2: yeah. How did you not know everybody was talking about Tom Brady as being the goat?
0: I have kids and I don't watch a lot of TV, so I'm just not cool.
2: Well, nor do I, but I still knew.
0: Uh, well, I know. that's That's the weird part about it. I'm yeah. impressed. Anyhow... GOAT. So we're looking for greatest of all time in your mind. And I'll give you a choice. You can pick one in business, sports, or entertainment.
2: Yeah, I wish you had told me these questions in advance. I would have given them some thought. Well, that's the um, idea. So sports, entertainment, or what was the third option?
0: Business or business. Prof- some sort of professional GOAT.
2: I, I would say business but i would sort of include politics underneath that um and i would say barack obama actually okay do i have to give a reason is that what
0: you're looking for no reason no reason needed that's just it's good to i have to say you are probably one of our most thoughtful guests you have really given it some thought and that's great okay so
2: thank you especially
1: in the 18 seconds that you were given
0: so speaking of uh yeah so now the last question often our most important is they name that tune okay. where we like to play a song in the theme of the podcast and oh. see if you can guess it. Now you'll get about 15 seconds. Uh, now we've never tried this remotely. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to try and play it and then.
2: Uh, see, before you start, I'm normally good at this game. In fact, I actually am good at the complete the lyrics too. So.
0: All right. Well, hey, you know what? I have to say none of our guests, none of them have gotten the song right. None.
2: Oh, in fact, I even
0: have a backup song for you in case you don't get the first one because I want you to get it right. All right. Okay. So here we go. I'm going to hold it up the mic and uh, I'm going to give you about 15 seconds. Here we go.
2: To play that song when I was growing up all the time, and I cannot for the life of me think of its name.
0: Okay. Seriously. Okay, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna tell you the name of the song is "End of the Line."
2: Okay. Part of me wants to reach for my phone and Google it quickly. Don't do it. I'm gonna give you an easier <laughs> one, but you have to tell her the artist. You ever heard
0: of the Traveling Wilburys?
2: I have. Yes.
0: It's Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, George Harrison, Jeff Lynne, and Roy Orbison. Classic.
2: I'll- all good ones,
0: obviously. So we wanted to be subtle about estate planning and, you know, end of the line, right? So here's yeah. an easier one for you. Okay. If, if you don't get this one, the podcast is over. Here we
2: okay. go. Okay. Oh, it's dead or
0: alive. Yay! We got our first winner. Well done, Kim. Well done. As we talked about last week, our leaderboard is empty, and now we at least can put a name on it. Yes. Well done. Props to you. Thank you very much. No problem. All right. Now the reason we're here. We're going to talk about estate planning, and what we wanted to do was kind of make this an estate planning 101, uh, kind of hit on the high points for folks who are listening on kind of what are the basics that we need to think about whether they're young or old and some of the nuances in each. And so, you know, briefly for, for our listeners, how would you define kind of estate planning in general? What, what, what is kind of what are the things that come to mind when you meet with a client for the first time, when they say, I need to do some estate planning?
2: Well, really estate planning in my mind has sort of three components to it. Um, first, estate planning in the traditional sense is what's going to happen to your assets, you know, when you die Um, I think the second component is that falls under the rubric of estate planning is what's going to happen in the event you have a medical issue, um, whether you are incapacitated or uh, entirely or whether it's a temporary thing. And then I think the third aspect of estate planning um, also pertains to finances of, you know, how is somebody going to manage your assets while you are alive? Um, in the event that is something that is necessary. So really, you know, you're looking, I think most people think of estate planning of what's going to happen when we die. And that's the traditional, you know, definition of estate planning, or the traditional thought, but I think it also extends beyond that. Um, And then recently, I've also even seen people um, put under the rubric of estate planning more things like guardianship and conservatorship, which, frankly, are not really traditional, you know, estate planning matters, but don't really have a, a home under other areas of law as well.
0: So, so that leads me to kind of the part two of the question, which is there's obviously different phases of life where some of those things come into play. Mm-hmm. What, what at kind of, what age do you think people need to start thinking about that? kind of getting their first uh, kind of first pieces of their estate plan in place?
2: You know, I, I think it's never really too early to start thinking about it. Um, anybody who is over the age of 18, really, I think, could could benefit from having, having thought about one of those concepts, at least, if not all of them. Because um, certainly, and I'm seeing this in my own, you know, my own life, things can happen to us even when we're in our, you know, in our 30s or 40s. I don't think it's I think it's a mistake for for people to think okay I'm not old I'm not older um I don't need to worry about this. It really is something that any anybody over the age of 18 should should be thinking about especially if you have assets or if you have children. Um yeah. So, so Kim
1: A lot of our clients, of course, are, you know, 18 or 20 year olds. No, but given that an 18 or 20 or even 23, 24 year old, they're probably really not thinking about estate planning and retirement. That's just, you know, you're invincible at that age. So let's say that you're a parent. You've got a child who's turning 18. What should you do?
2: Well, I think I think as a parent, it's important for us to you know to teach our children and to to bring things to their their mind that they may not necessarily be thinking about. I, I think especially for the younger people, eighteen, twenty, twenty-one. I mean, let's be honest, most even twenty-one or twenty-two year olds don't have much by way of assets, so they're probably not as concerned about you know if I die, what's going to happen to my Toyota Prius or something, you know. But I think definitely what's what's most important for for younger folks, is the medical part of it because what what I think a lot of people, especially as parents, don't realize is once your child turns 18, you don't have any legal say over what happens to them, um, other than if there is a a code section that's a default. And and what I mean by that is, let's say you know you have a 20 year old who goes out and and God forbid gets hit by a car or, or gets into a car accident and ends up in a hospital bed. Um, under most states, and in, in Virginia specifically, because obviously I'm barred to practice in Virginia, there is a code section that addresses who's going to be making decisions for that 20-year-old um, in the event they can't make decisions. And in an unmarried, in the instance of an unmarried um, 20-year-old, and I hate to say a child, but you know, a young adult, it's going to be the parents who are going to be making the decisions um, absent having a document like a, a healthcare power of attorney or an advanced directive. And there are some 20-year-olds even who may not want their parents to be the ones to make the decision. Um, so that would be something that I think is important for a younger a younger person.
1: And so specifically, what documents would they ask an attorney like you to put together? They for would
2: their... want they would want either a healthcare power of attorney or an advanced directive. And the difference is a healthcare power of attorney is an instrument which um, names somebody else to make a decision in the event of a a situation where the person is incapacitated and cannot make a medical decision on their own. Um, The advanced directive goes one step further and includes a provision that says, in the event that I am in a terminal condition, I'm never gonna get any better. You know, I, I maybe don't have brain functioning or I have problems, systemic problems with my organs. Keep me alive, keep me comfortable, but don't keep me alive. Um, and then within that document, you can also name an agent to make any other decision that's not, I'm in a terminal condition.
1: Go so, ahead, Dave. What about a HIPAA directive? Some of our clients get those. Uh, what's your thought about having one of those for that? So
2: the HIPAA directives I put in all of my documents. Um, I do, in my healthcare uh, power of attorney, I put a HIPAA directive. And then in my advanced directive, I put a HIPAA directive. And what that is, is simply... Um, you know, this person is authorized to talk to doctors, to get um, copies of medical records. And interestingly enough, um, you could end up in a catch-22 situation if you don't word your document correctly with regard to the HIPAA language, because many of these documents become effective when the person has been declared by a doctor to be medically incapacitated. Um, But you can imagine a situation where you have, let's say, a parent who of a 20-year-old, to continue that example, um, who does not have access to medical records of the 20-year-old, but probably thinks that the 20-year-old is incapacitated. So what I do in my documents is I, I provide that the HIPAA authorization becomes effective once the document is signed, because then that way, the parent can get the medical information to then potentially have the person be declared incapacitated. If we simply put in the document that the HIPAA authorization occurs when the incapacity starts, there could be a situation where you think your principal, the person who, who drafted the document, is incapacitated, but you don't have the access to the doctors to be able to get a finding that the person is incapacitated.
0: And that causes its own problem. So let me I'm a, I'm going to pull up a little bit here. I know that's one of Dave's favorite ways to describe. Let's hold off a second. We're going to pull up. Um, and pull up and step back on documents. So we've already kind of jumped into the tools or the documents. And I've heard you mention advanced medical directive, health, pick healthcare power of attorney. Oftentimes those can be integrated. Is that correct?
2: Uh, That is correct. I've seen them
0: where it's one document. Is that correct? Yeah. So
2: in advanced, yeah. So an advanced directive, I kind of refer to that as the kind of the Cadillac Mm -hmm. in that, in that document, you have the healthcare power of attorney and then you're also going to have the what's called used to be called a living will provision which is again if i'm in a a, a persistent vegetative state or a, a situation where i'm not going to get any better i'm brain dead keep me comfortable but don't keep me alive and so that advanced directive document has both components
0: to okay. it okay and so i want to get into some scenarios as we talked about before the podcast about for different ages, kind of what are the tools or considerations they should be thinking of? So we've talked about advanced medical directive. What are some of the other kind of basic tools? Let's talk about those first and then maybe talk about their application. So what are some of the others that are part of that package that you recommend?
2: Sure. So um, the first thing that I normally talk to people about is a a will, which is also called a last will and testament. Um, And that is a document by which the person who who is making it, they're called either the testator for a male, or a testatrix for a female um, sets out where they want their assets to go um, when they they die. And so, um, you know, that document can be as specific as I want these item A, B, C, D, E to go to these people, or it can be as general as take what I have and give it to Aunt Tilly or give it to, you know, my children or whatever. Um, Within that document, you also are going to nominate somebody called an executor um, who is the person who is going to make sure that your assets go to where they need to go when you, when you die and that your debts get paid um, and that any other directions that you have in your will get followed. Um,
0: okay. So advanced medical directive, last will and testament. Uh, I think there's one more, at least at a minimum, right? Well,
2: there is. Okay. Yeah. There's a, a, a financial power of attorney. That is a document in which the person who is known as the principal um, can name another person referred to as an agent to make their financial decisions, to manage their bank accounts, to sell real estate, to do all basically anything that the principal could do um, him or herself with regard to the person's finances.
0: Okay, so a little nuance that sometimes we get into with folks that maybe they're not aware of is could you explain? The difference between a durable and a springing, and, and yeah. which one is appropriate, and does it matter depending on age or situation? Yeah.
2: So a durable power of attorney is a document which becomes effective when it is signed and delivered to the to the agent. Um, so that means that if I name my husband as my agent in a durable power of attorney, he could go down to the bank tomorrow, even though I'm a right mind, have no mental um, capacity issues and can clean out my bank account. Um, The springing, or also called a contingent power of attorney, is a power of attorney which becomes effective when the person who is making the power of attorney um, is declared by two physicians to be incapacitated. Um, Kind of the spoiler alert is that I tell people, and it's, it's contrary to what I think intuition would suggest, is that the durable power of attorney is the one that we almost always go with. And most folks come to me and say, but why would I want to give somebody the ability to act with regard to my finances now when there's nothing wrong with me? Um, isn't it safer for me to go ahead and do the contingent power of attorney because then, then only if I'm incapacitated, this person can act. Um, and my answer to that is no. I mean, it's safer in this if you are naming somebody that you don't trust as your agent, which I submit is a bad idea to begin with. Um, but, but you're going to be better served typically with the durable power of attorney because there may be a situation where you're, you're perfectly fine mentally, but you need you need somebody else to act on your behalf. And the example I give to folks all the time um, is with a real estate transaction. You know, a husband and wife are selling real estate and maybe wife's home with the kids and can't get to the you know, to the um, settlement agent's office to sign the documents. Well, if she has a durable power of attorney in favor of her husband, he can go ahead and sign the documents for her. She's mentally fine, but just physically unavailable.
0: Okay. So are there any other kind of basic documents before we get into a few examples that you would would like to tee up in advance? Yeah.
2: I mean, I wouldn't call this necessarily a basic document, but there's also a whole area of trust. You know, people come to me a lot of the times and say, I need a revocable trust um, or... Some even say an irrevocable trust. And and what a trust is, is a trust is a a vehicle by which you can transfer your assets into to have the management of those assets be kind of seamless during your lifetime and then once you pass away. Um, you know, I think I think the the trend is for people to use trusts sometimes that don't, you know, they don't necessarily need them. Um, but that is another vehicle that I also advise people on.
0: Okay. And maybe we can get into that part uh, of the kind of the will versus trust uh, kind of in the example. So uh, I don't want to get too far ahead. So as we talked about before, so we've got a young couple at a high level. they got a couple young kids and they want to, they're starting to put together their financial plan because obviously that's kind of what this podcast is about is how do we, you know, kind of create a well-rounded financial plan and limit the risks that we can control. So what are the considerations you're going to talk to a, a young family about? They both got good jobs, but they've got young kids, and they have no legal documents.
2: So, in that situation, the primary focus uh, is going to be on what to do with those kids. Um, I mean, that tends to be where I gravitate with a younger family, you know, that is starting out, um, both from a, a care perspective in the event of a, a death or a death of both of them, and then also from a financial management perspective. So, so the first thing really that I would talk with them about is, um, a guardianship for instance. And, you know, when you have the death of both parents and you have minor children, the the question is, who's going to care for my kids? Um, and you want to make sure that that's addressed. And so in a will, you can actually include a provision, which says if my husband and I are both dead, this person is going to care for the children. Now, just because you name somebody doesn't mean they have to serve. I mean, certainly they could decline. I I typically tell clients that it is a good idea to talk to those folks before you go ahead and name them because you don't want to end up in a situation where, you know, you named your sister and they get to the point where they're like, we don't, I don't want to do this. You know, I don't want to serve as the guardian.
0: Wasn't that a Kate um, Hudson movie, by the way? I think I saw a movie about
2: that. Yeah, I feel like there might have been some, uh, at least I'm a just couple of bad comedies. I so, do, yeah,
0: back in the day. Let's,
1: let's say that Young Family is looking at, okay, so Kim, I hear these are the things that we need to have in place. Um, what do we need to do? What do we need to prepare? And what do we need to think about before we come and start talking about all this new stuff with you?
2: <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. I really like doing the estate planning because especially when I'm doing estate planning for couples because I get I get an insight into their relationship and I I tell people, look, you guys need to have a conversation about this stuff before you get to my office but inevitably there's the couple or couples who don't do that. And they end up having this big, you know, discussion in front of me, which is, you know, never good. Um, But they, you know, they want to talk about again, who's going to care for our children in the event we can't do so. Um, Who were we going to name to manage our finances? You know, I I have the fight all the time of, okay, well, I'm going to name my spouse as the first person, but who am I going to name as the backup? And, you know, I see spouses saying, well, I want to name my brother and I want to name my sister and we're going to name two different people. And it's like, okay, you know, fine, but you don't have to have that fight play out in front of me. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, the other thing is what are our objectives, um, in terms of planning for either our incapacity or, or our death, you know, who do we want to take care of with our money? Um, and that's another thing that a lot of couples come to my office without having discussed prior to doing so.
1: And so let's say that they start talking about, you know, who would be the guardian for the children with something you brought up. What if they want one person to be the guardian and one of them is saying, but that person's really not all that good with the money and there's somebody else who's good. How, how do you handle that?
2: That's absolutely something that can happen. And in fact, uh, you know, I, a lot of the times will recommend that you name one person as the guardian and then name somebody different as the trustee, the person who's going to maintain the finances, because then there's a system of checks and balances. Now, if you're lucky enough to have a person who is both, you know, capable of caring for your children and also managing finances, then by all means name that person as a guardian and as a trustee, but you can absolutely have two different people filling those roles.
0: So you mentioned trustee and guardian. So, but I'm going to kind of play, play dumb here, which is not too hard. (laughs) which is a trustee for what? So we haven't talked about a trust yet. So speak a little bit more about what that means kind of in the scope of uh, this will or whatever we're talking about.
2: So basically if you have children who are under the age of 18 or, or in a lot of situations, maybe even children who are under the age of 25 or 30 or even older, you, you may not want to provide that money is going to go directly to them, especially, I mean, If you have somebody who's under the age of 18, a child, then definitely they're not going to get money directly. But in that instance, you can set up what's called a testamentary trust, a trust that is established at the time of your death by your will, um, and that's going to provide financial support for the beneficiary or beneficiaries who are named. The person who is then responsible for that testamentary trust um, is somebody called the trustee, and they are going to have to follow the directions in the will creating the trust in terms of how much money goes to whom and when, um, and will be the person who will be responsible for administering that trust.
0: Okay. So I've got someone specified to take care of my kids, and I've got someone to help take care of the money. Mm -hmm. I've got this maybe called the will that would take care of that. Um, now this may be more than, this may be estate planning 201, but one of the things (laughs) we talked about revocable living trusts and also as a way to, to have a trustee take care of assets for someone, but Mm -hmm. a testamentary trust goes through probate, correct? That is correct. Versus a revocable one. So is that something that, that matters in this discussion up front and what kind of counsel would you have on probate and stuff? It does.
2: And so to kind of go back to the the real basics, first of all, probate. Probate is the process by which a person's assets um, are administered after their death with some level of court oversight. Um, Typically, when somebody has an estate that needs to be probated, the person who is going to be responsible for that estate, and they are referred to either as the administrator if there is no will or the executor if there is a will, is going to have to go before the, the clerk of the court in which in the county or city in which the person died and get qualified, get the legal authority to act with regard to the the dead person's assets. And, and in legal terms, we call the dead person the decedent. And so there are some fees that are associated with that that are typically based, that are based um, on the value of the person's probate estate. In many states, the process of probate is very, very cumbersome and difficult. Um, to be honest, the probate process in Virginia is actually not that bad. Um, you know, the fees are fairly minimal. Um, the oversight is somewhat minimal. But but for us as state planning attorneys, the whole point is to try to prevent the family from having to even go through that process. And so one of the vehicles that we use is a revocable trust because a revocable trust um, is not something that's gonna have to go through probate. It's simply a document that's signed by the person who's making the trust, a trustee is named and the trustee accepts the position and then serves and doesn't have any level of court oversight unless something goes wrong and somebody asks for it. So that's definitely one of the benefits of a revocable trust. but I, I always caution people, revocable trusts are definitely, in my opinion, a little more than basic. They're not not basic. And there are ways that those trusts can actually go wrong. And so, you know, if somebody is going to get a revocable trust, we want to make sure as an attorney, we educate people as to how to use it properly.
0: Okay. So I have a couple of questions here from some other folks. So I stopped monopolizing. So Penny has a question, and then Dave's got one for you.
2: Yep, so mine okay. actually goes
3: back a little bit to the guardianship okay. um, situation that we we're talking about. So if you are um, in a remarried situation or a divorce situation and, and you're doing this type of planning, do you have to have an ex-spouse's consent when you're naming a guardian for a minor child? And if you don't and there's a discrepancy or a difference there, how do you advise clients to handle that situation?
2: Okay, so you definitely do not need the ex-spouse's permission to, to designate somebody as a guardian. But what I do tell folks is that just because you have named somebody as a guardian does not mean that 100% that that is going to be the person who will ultimately end up serving. Um, when it comes down to it, if there is a dispute, that um, document that says, I name Jane Doe as my guardian of my children in the event that I die is just considered persuasive evidence of what the parent would have wanted in the event of his or her death. Um, I also do domestic work. And and so what would end up happening is, let's say, you know, mom has two children, mom and dad are divorced, dad's remarried, um, mom passes away and, and names her sister as the guardian of the, of the minor children. Well, dad is still alive. And as long as dad is not unfit, Regardless of what mom's will says, dad probably more likely than not is going to become the guardian of those children. Um, it would only be if sister chose to go to court and to file a petition for custody and visitation and then would say to the court, look, my sister named me as the guardian in her will. I want to be the guardian. And then they would end up in somewhat of a battle as, as to who should be, what's in the best interest of the children in terms of who should serve as their guardian.
0: So even though it's specified in the will who the guardian would be because the the ex-spouse is is living that it would yes. automatically default to that person.
2: It's not going to automatically default okay. but but there's a there's a good chance that if that right. if that
0: like a mass murder father father
2: in my you know in my example is fit and has a relationship with the children that he is going to be caring for those kids.
0: Okay. Dave, something I'm give that, Dave, Yeah, go that, ahead. That, uh, I am going to try to pull us
1: out of the two hundred level class, which is tough for me because this is interesting stuff, and get a hundred level class again. <laughs> so, um, probate estate—you mentioned that. Yep. um, What's in it under these various circumstances? So, if somebody doesn't have a will; in other words, they die intestate. Yep. The decedent was intestate. Two hundred in level word. Yep. That is. And uh, so, the, the situation where an individual didn't have a will and they died—what is in their probate estate? Everything.
2: Okay. So the rule of thumb is that anything that is in the name of the person who died or in that person's name with somebody else is going to fall into the probate estate. Um, Things like life insurance that have named beneficiaries on them are not going to be part of the probate estate. Um, Bank accounts that have rights of survivorship on it or payable on death. Uh, beneficiaries or transferable on death beneficiaries are not going to be part of the probate estate. How about um, the retirement accounts? Retirement accounts that have beneficiaries on them will not be part of the probate estate. Um, typically, the 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 probate estate is construed pretty pretty narrowly. Now, there I mean this is this is probate like 401, but there are circumstances in which. Assets that are not at first glance part of the probate estate can be pulled back in under different circumstances. But generally speaking, the rule of thumb is that if the person's name is on it, there isn't a beneficiary, there isn't a payable on death provision. It's part of the probate estate.
1: Okay. Okay. So it's like all your stuff. If you're a single individual, it's all your stuff that doesn't have a beneficiary that's just in your name.
2: If you don't have, then or in your name with somebody else, there's going to be a portion of it that. Sure.
1: And so now the next level, now that person isn't intestate, they had a will. What changes?
2: It, it doesn't change for the purposes of what determines the probate estate. What's going to change is who gets what. So if you die intestate, meaning you don't have a will, then there is a, there is a code section under Virginia law that says this is who gets my stuff if I die without a will. If you die with a will, the, the kind of rules of the game are now created by the will, the terms of the will.
1: Okay. So that's the difference. And so for years, been lots of articles written about, you know, how do you avoid probate? How do you uh, escape probate? Now mm-hmm. that individual had had a revocable trust. Yep. How does that help them avoid probate? And what do they need to do while they're living with all their stuff?
2: Okay, so the revocable trust does not go through probate. That is an asset or assets, whatever's in the trust, that is not considered part of the probate estate. Um, In terms of while they are alive, the biggest thing that I see people do that messes up revocable trust is not actually putting the asset in the trust. Um, So you have to take, so there's a couple of steps to having a trust prepared. You get the attorney to draft the trust. The trust then gets signed um, and then you actually have to take affirmative steps to put the assets in the trust, um, which doesn't happen a lot.
0: You mean I have to do something with that big notebook that I got with my trust in it?
2: That is correct. Maybe and he's... honestly, yeah, go ahead. if you're getting the big notebook, you should be wary because the people who draft those big notebooks are the ones that you sort of the form, the, the form, you know, one size fits everybody, which is not what you want when you do a revocable trust.
0: And I've, I'm surprised at how many times we've seen trusts, uh, but there's, and maybe this is not typical, but where there's no instructions on what to do with it. So someone's paid a lot of money to get a trust, but, but yeah. they're not given any written instructions on what to do with it.
2: Yeah. And I can't tell you, I mean, I, I, I try to dissuade people from using trust because I do think that for the lay person who's not adequately advised, they can cause more problems than they do good because if you have a, a trust that you spent typically a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars to have drafted and you don't ever put your assets in it, that trust is not going to be worth really anything to you um, because it, it doesn't have anything in it. So like with real estate, you actually have to do a deed into the trust. Um, with bank accounts, you have to change the titling of the bank account. Um, you know, to the name of the trust. And if you don't take those steps, the trust doesn't really serve a purpose.
0: Yep. So I think we could do a whole podcast on trust. And so Dave's jotted out a few items. I think we're going to do a lightning round at the end where we're going to ask a couple quick questions, but in the interest, interest of time, I want to keep moving um, Okay. Uh, just, just so we can cover a couple more things. And then if we have time, we'll come back to it. So, I think we've got a we've touched on you know younger younger families' priority with kids and guardianship and trustees. Now now we're talking about an older family, someone who's kind of recently retired. Uh, they may or may not have estate documents um, already. You know maybe they're 20 years old. The estate documents, not the people. But uh, what are the things that you know they come in your door? What are the things you're looking for for them to have in place? And if they have things in place, you know what are you looking for? Uh, you know, maybe that would stick out being so old?
2: So in those situations, the focus is going to shift from obviously caring for kids to caring for the person, caring for themselves, especially um, in the instance of um, incapacity. So that really is going to be the focus with somebody who's older. What's going to happen, you know, if you have a medical issue and you need care? What is going to happen um, in the event you become incapacitated, you get Alzheimer's, you get dementia, you, you know, you have a stroke and you can't physically care for yourself. Do we have the right documents in place to make sure that you get what you need um, in those instances? And then of course, the underlying with both the young and the old couples is what do we do with the finances? Who gets what when we die? I mean, that's kind of the common thread between both classes of people.
0: So, you know, we just met with someone yesterday who's got legal documents that, again, we're not giving legal advice here, uh, but we're we're kind of trying to entertain and, you know, give folks some ideas, but, um, and obviously we're not attorneys, but legal documents are 20 years old. Uh, They appear to contain the names of people that are still living uh, Mm -hmm. and everything seems to be in order. But what are the things that maybe could have changed over the past 20 years that you're looking for? that may encourage folks to to have them re-looked at or or not?
2: Um, So the things that I see that pop up that cause problems would be um, a will that's not what's called self-proving. In Virginia, you have to have certain what are called execution requirements um, fulfilled, meaning that the document is signed by the person who made it in the presence of two witnesses, and those signatures are all notarized. That's what the self-proving affidavit is. A lot of the older documents don't have a self-proving affidavit, which means that when the will gets probated, you actually have to track down the witnesses. And if it was done 20 years ago, the likelihood of being able to track down the witnesses, it just one of them at least, is really a problem. Um, so that would be one thing I would be looking for. With regard to the um, financial powers of attorney, um, there have been updates to the law as to things that have to be specifically spelled out in the power of attorney. Otherwise, the agent doesn't have the power to act. Things like um, uh, changing beneficiary designations or naming um, you know, spouses as survivors. There has to be a specific provision in there that says that this power is granted. Otherwise, it's construed as if it's not. So there may be, if it's an older document, those may not be there. And then with the healthcare documents, the biggest issue is HIPAA. I see a lot of people that have documents that don't have any HIPAA language in it and I think HIPAA came out in like I want to say 96 but that may not be right. Um but but there's no HIPAA provisions or there's no provisions about what happens if I'm in a nursing home and uh you know and I'm I'm incapacitated and I, maybe I don't want visit- visitors or maybe I you know want to restrict certain things in that instance. Um, The law has changed a little bit in terms of those types of issues. So,
0: so when you say the laws have changed or there's HIPAA, this HIPAA, what does that mean to, to the person who's holding that document? Does that mean it won't work at all? Or, or what, what, what should they be concerned about?
2: Well, it it doesn't necessarily mean it won't work at all. It may mean it's just going to be, it's going to be clumsy. And the example about HIPAA is what I sort of mentioned before is, You know, if you have a document that becomes valid and effective when a person is declared to be incapacitated, then let's say, I'll give you a real world example, Um, you know, I'll, I'll use just, I'll pretend and use my mother. My mother has Alzheimer's. I'm pretty sure she's got Alzheimer's, but the doctor hasn't declared her to have Alzheimer's. Well, she doesn't want to go to the doctor. I've got no authority to force her to go to the doctor, but I know that she's been to the doctor and the doctor has said she's got Alzheimer's. If I had a power of attorney, a healthcare power of attorney that gave me a HIPAA release, I could then go talk to the doctor. If I don't have that release, then she could be incapacitated and I'm never going to be able to go to that next step because I've got no access to her medical records to say she's incapacitated. So having that HIPAA language is really important.
1: And, and I just realized, I think for some of our listeners, we might be throwing around a little alphabet soup here with HIPAA, the Health mm-hmm. Information Privacy Protection Act, which basically yep. is, you know, your doctor can't tell a friend of yours what's going on. <laughs>
2: unless Correct. they're
0: in your medical directive.
2: Or unless you've done a separate HIPAA release. And a lot of doctor's offices now will make you, when you first come in, will fill out a sheet that says I, you can yeah. tell my spouse, you can whoever you name, about my medical history.
0: All right, so here's the deal. We've got about 10 minutes max. I want to do a lightning round. All right, okay. so we're going to go around the table. Everybody gets a chance to ask one. And then, Kim, I'm going to give you a chance to to say a few things, if you like, at the end. Uh, okay. Maybe things we haven't covered in your mind. So um, should we do ladies first? Sure. Penny, Penny sure. Lowbread, go sure. for it,
3: lightning round. So I would just want to know... What other life events would you recommend that people revisit their estate planning? What things that happen throughout your life, not just when you're old or when you're young, but along the way, what would trigger you to revisit your documents?
2: Yeah. So the big ones are marriage, um, divorce, death of a family member that may cause you to have an inheritance, um, changes to your net worth, substantial changes one way or the other. Um, and I guess those would be those would be the four major ones and then any health issues. I get a lot of folks unfortunately who come to me who say I've been diagnosed with cancer, I need to get my affairs in order or um, you know, I, I'm starting to get dementia and I'm concerned that I'm not going to be able to manage my finances, I want to put things in place. So those are the five, the five circumstances in which, um, you would want to have your documents reviewed. And then I guess the six would be children, which we've already talked about.
3: Well, and what about as your children age? As they, you know, you're providing for minor children versus yeah. your children have aged up and now they're making yeah. their own plans.
2: I, I absolutely think that that's a good time, too. And that sort of falls under the rubric of, of milestones in the children's lives. I mean, obviously, when you're a young parent, you're just worried about getting by and providing for the very expensive, you know, infant, you know, toddler, et cetera when you get older children, you're worried about college. And and that probably also coincides with your financial planning too. good time to look at your financial plan when you're trying to figure out how to send little Billy to college. Um, yeah. And then marriage, you know, you're worried about paying for your daughter's wedding or, you know, so there, that's a natural time to look at your estate planning documents. Um, uh, another thing that I always tell people is sometimes, you know, buying a house might be another time to revisit things because how you're going to have it titled may make, you you may make, want to put it into a revocable trust. Um, again, that would be another time where doing financial planning might make sense too. So a lot of these things go hand in hand.
1: So quick lightning round questions. So things that people think the will does, but it doesn't, um, You know, who's going to get grandma's yellow pie plate? You know, here's who I want to have this piece of jewelry. What do people
2: do? So the will does do that. I mean, it can do that. Most of the time in Virginia, you're going to have a a separate list of tangible personal property, which is one of the things that the General Assembly did well. Um, They allowed you to be able to take all those piddly, you know, pots and pans and pieces of jewelry that are not probably worth a lot, but may be very um, important to a person to list those separately from the will. And just as a a very quick story, I worked with an older woman, and John may have heard this story, so I apologize. Um, An an elderly woman before Virginia allowed the list of tangible personal property. So she comes into my office and she does her will, and we start talking about, well, are there any items particular that you wanna make sure go to certain people? And she's like, oh no, Kimberly, I don't need to worry about that. I've got my own system. And I said, oh, OK, so tell me, like, what's this own system? And so apparently she had Post-it notes um, on the bottom of all of her stuff. And she would l- write the names of the people who were supposed to get her things. And every time somebody would upset her, she'd shift the Post-it notes around. It's um, cheaper. So, that, that doesn't yeah. work when
1: you put the yellow pie plate in the oven. but
2: Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. Or when you wash the dishes or something. So, you know, the, Virginia's response to that was the list of tangible personal property. Um and even in those situations where there is a list that's created, I always worry because a handwritten list that's signed and dated is a lot less formal than a will. And so what I typically tell people is, if you've got stuff of high financial or sentimental value, put those things in your will and then do the list of tangible personal property for everything else.
0: All right. So I get to be the last lightning round question since I'm the host or whatever. okay. Hey, uh, so this is a great segue actually into my last comment, which is, okay, you got me convinced. Now I need to do some legal documents. Should I write it by hand? In other words, should I write my will by hand and what's wrong? with Hang on. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well that maybe then just, let's just knock that one out right away. I'll let you comment on that one more. Should I do it online uh, through one of those online legal companies or, or should I go with an attorney? Go.
2: Okay. So you should almost never write it by hand. Um, That's a what's called a holographic will. And there's just all sorts of problems with that. Um, You know, a will is technically effective when it is written in the person's own handwriting and signed, but there are a number of things that have to happen before that, um, holographic will is going to be accepted by the probate court. And there's just a lot of room for unintended consequences.
3: Such as Um,
0: briefly. Is there anything quickly? Um,
2: thinking you're doing something and using language that actually results in a different result. Okay. Um, and I have all sorts of stories about that, which I'm, you know, we can't really share because of the time constraints, but it's just not a good idea. Um, okay. Doing it online is a little bit better, but the thing that I always tell people on that is um, "garbage in, garbage out." So if you're the one who's providing the information and not really knowing what you're supposed to be providing, the the program or the website is only going to spit out what you're what you're providing. So that's a little bit better than doing it by hand. But if you are going to do that route. You need to make sure that it's properly signed, properly notarized, properly witnessed, and that you get something that is state specific. A lot of the programs are are um, re- make the requirements for all the states, so you, have, you end up having more than what you need. Um, of course, my answer is gonna be the best thing to do is to go to an attorney, um, or as an alternative, what I offer people is do it online, but have it reviewed by an attorney to make sure you haven't forgotten something. Um, that's the cheap way to do it because you're paying a lot less. You're probably having the attorney look at it at their hourly rate, which may be a lot less than doing a full package. Um, And you're getting the benefit of less cost, but still legal advice. I mean, we, we go to law school for a reason.
0: Okay. So lightning round, it's only fair that we give you a chance to give your own lightning, send it this way. Any last comments or, or things for us?
2: Yeah. The last thing I would say is, is sit down and do your documents. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are overwhelmed with the thought of, of thinking about their death. Um, but it doesn't have to be an onerous process. And in fact, what I oftentimes appreciate is is that clients come in and tell me it was really hard for me to get to this point, but I feel much better having talked to you. And I think what most of my clients are going to tell you is that I, I, I have a sort of a system down where I can make it pretty easy for you. And it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. And you'll feel a lot better when you actually have the document done.
0: Thank you. Great. Sorry. I think we're going to have to do a second one. I think we're going to have to do another one later, assuming...
1: I can hear the viewer mail coming in already.
0: I
2: I feel like this was difficult. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. And you guys were asking me. I was told estate planning 101, and it was definitely... 200 or 300 level but that's okay it's kind of
1: hard just staying at 101 with estate planning yeah i yeah. just have one and last question isn't there another wo- another word that we could all use versus estate planning uh, you know it's uh, like if you don't have a mansion covered with ivy that's that that's an estate right? yeah I think that's a term that kind of scares people.
2: uh, Yeah, it does. Well, and it's interesting you say that. My firm recently was redoing its website and we were trying to figure out like what types of words people search for when they're looking for that. And yeah, and I I think estate planning, most people don't understand what that really encompasses. You know, they're looking for will, they're looking for power of attorney, they're looking for, you know, advanced directive. And it is sort of a scary term. So I I can appreciate that.
0: We'll figure something out maybe in our next podcast. It's life planning yeah kim, <laughs> it is thanks very much hey we appreciate it sorry we got rushed at the end i think it was all good and uh i just want to say thanks from everyone here and uh for everyone listening uh subscribe on itunes check us out on podbean.com twitter instagram or our email address evofidepodcast at gmail.com and uh we'll be back soon with season two of our podcast and uh, again thanks to kim skiba for joining us
2: Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Hey, we'll see you soon. Bye now.
2: Thanks, Kim.